This is a quick disclaimer. This week's episode is a little more violent than usual. Please check out mythpodcast.com for more details. This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, we're finishing the story of Jason and the Argonauts by only looking at two Argonauts, Jason and Medea. You'll see that cheating on a witch known for her creative ruthlessness is a very bad idea, and that the bar for Father of the Year in Greek mythology continues to be startlingly low. The creature this week is the Selkie. You'll wonder if that good-looking seal at the beach might just be kind of into you. Also, barring beautiful mythological creatures wearing seal skins, that's not really a thought that you should be having. This is the Myths and Legends Podcast, episode 46D, Scorned. This is a podcast where I tell stories from folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. This is the fourth and final episode in a series on Jason and the Argonauts. If you haven't heard the previous ones, well, you might be a little lost. Check out 46A for the start of the series. Previously on the podcast, Jason's uncle usurped his father's throne and forced Jason into exile as a baby. To get his father's throne back, Jason had to go on a quest for the Golden Fleece. On that quest, Medea, the daughter of the king who owned the fleece, was shot by one of Cupid's arrows, fell deeply in love with Jason, and betrayed her own family to help him get the fleece. When they got back to Eolcus, she returned Jason's father to youth and tricked Jason's uncle's daughters into murdering their father, the one who had usurped the throne. For that, she was exiled, and Jason went with her. Medea looked out on the Argo, the ship that had brought them to this land. It hadn't been used in ten years. At first, the citizens of Corinth had marveled at it. It was the boat that had brought the Golden Fleece and carried some of the greatest warriors of the age. Now, it was beginning to rot, forgotten, as it lazily rocked on the waves. Medea wiped her eyes, but it made no difference. Today, Jason's betrayal was complete. Today, she was truly alone. She and Jason had traveled, hand in hand, to the different cities of Greece after they had been exiled from Iolcus. The Argonauts had spread throughout the land after returning, and stories of Jason and Medea's deeds had spread even further. Eventually, they settled down in Corinth, which was to the south of Iolcus. There, under the protection of King Creon, they lived a humble life, and they were happy. They had two sons, and as time passed, Medea became certain that her father wouldn't wage war on the Greeks for her. Medea could relax. Over those ten years, Jason grew from the brash young man that had traveled the world with a devil-may-care attitude to an aging prince in exile, worried about glory and legacy. It would be enough for most to be counted among the greatest heroes of their age, but Medea could see a sadness in him when he talked about Iolcus, his father's city, and the kingship, the birthright that would never be his. It didn't help that Aeson, Jason's father, died suddenly of an illness had youth again, but death can come for anyone, unless death is locked up in a closet somewhere. It's been known to happen. Jason learned of it months later, and he also learned that the citizens of Iolcus did not recall him, but put the son of Peleus, Jason's dead usurper uncle, on the throne. Jason spiraled. Medea was busy caring for the children, but she could see a bitterness in Jason. He blamed her. He had left Iolcus for her. She didn't feel bad for him. She had not only left her entire family for him, 
but she had killed her own brother so that they could get away. He could get over not being able to sit on his father's throne and merely being known worldwide as a hero, but Jason did not get over it. He spent more and more time away, and when he was home, he looked on Medea and their sons with bitterness. Then, one night, Jason was drinking with King Creon. The king, who wasn't nearly as far gone as he let on, said something by accident, that if only Jason wasn't already married, he could be betrothed to King Creon's daughter and set on a throne worthy of such a hero. Jason confided in the king, telling him just how bad things had gotten between he and Medea. A few more talks, and it was settled. Jason would marry Princess Glossy, even though he was still married to Medea, a princess who definitely would not like this change of circumstances. Worse yet, Medea heard the news before Jason even had a chance to tell her. Medea learned of it when she rolled over, alone in their bed, to see one of her servants standing at the door, in the gray light of the morning. The servant swallowed hard and told her the news. Jason would not be coming home. Medea screamed threats not only to Jason, but to the king, to the princess, and even to her own children. What had been under the surface, unspoken for years, finally bubbled up to destroy her life. She was now truly alone. In the fortress, the king drummed his fingers nervously. He had heard reports of the threats that had been coming from Jason and Medea's humble little home, and the king also knew what Medea was capable of. Jason had confided in him about the quest for the Golden Fleece, about everything Medea had done. She had defeated the dragon, Talos, the giant bronze robot, killed her own brother, and when she got back, she had torn Peleus' family, and more literally, Peleus apart, without even lifting a finger. King Creon knew he had to get rid of her. He would go to her himself, to give the command for her to go into exile. Medea was dangerous. He had to watch her leave himself. In minutes, King Creon stood before Medea. He told the woman that she and her sons had to leave immediately. She wept and lamented her cursed life. He said, that's nice, get out. For the next 20 minutes, Medea begged and pleaded and wore down the king, trying to be able to stay. It was only when she called her two sons to her, both under the age of seven, that King Creon relented and let them stay one more day so they could get their things in order. If any of them remained in the city for the next sunrise, he would personally oversee their deaths. Medea understood and thanked him for his kindness. On his walk back to the palace, he was kicking himself that he was tricked into letting her stay even one more day. But it was just a few hours. How much damage could one woman do in so short amount of time? Medea hardly had time to wipe the tears from her eyes before Jason showed up at the door. He had come to see her off and berated her for messing up his plan. Couldn't she see? Marrying another person while they were still married was actually a very good thing for her. Jason said that he never wanted her to have to leave. She did that by herself, by making threats against the king, his daughter, and his new son-in-law. Jason said that he had wanted her to stay, for his children with the princess to be brothers with his two sons by Medea, for his new station as prince to raise all of them up. Now, his children with Medea will be homeless exiles. Medea took a deep breath. She wasn't crying. She wasn't yelling. She said that the world thought he was some hero, some brave exile that brought home the fleece. If they only knew, Jason was the one flinching away from the dragon, paralyzed with fear when they saw Talos. He was nothing without her saving him every step of the way. She had been there, making the potions that saved him from the bulls and the dragon, learning what they needed to survive the Spartoi and Talos. Medea had made the hard choices, 
betraying her family, and killing her own brother so that they could escape. When they got home, she killed Peleus when Jason and his father did what they do best and refused to act. Jason tried to defend himself. He said that he didn't owe Medea anything for the journey. His only debt was to Aphrodite, the goddess of love, for making Medea fall so hard for him. Besides, Jason had done his service to Medea, taking her from the edge of the world to Greece, the pinnacle of civilization, a place where she was famous thanks to him and his quest. She should be thankful. She would still be in the lands of the barbarians, if not for him. Medea smiled a cold smile. The land of the barbarians. Her home. The one to which she could never return, thanks to him. She didn't even care what the world thought about their quest. They could go on thinking that he was some brave hero. She knew, and more importantly, Jason knew, that deep down, at the core of his being, Jason was a coward. And this choice, to leave Medea for the princess, was just scared little Jason, running away from his problems. She finished by saying that yes, she had made threats against him, the king, and the princess. When, in their decade together, had Jason ever seen Medea leave a task unfinished? No matter how gruesome or terrible it was, Jason gulped and couldn't answer. Exactly, Medea said. Now run off to your beautiful new wife. Medea watched him shuffle out of the house that they had shared together for nearly a decade. There was nothing left to say. When he was gone, she began her work. And after that tense and ominous meeting, we'll see that everything is completely cool, and Medea actually isn't mad at all, and that will be right after this. This week's episode is brought to you by Bomba Socks. So, like I said, I've been wearing Bomba Socks for a couple weeks now. My wife thought it was so weird that I was raving about socks that I actually urged her to buy a few pair. They're currently on their way, so she'll soon be able to feel the glory that is Bombas. I would say that they're like walking on clouds, but I don't know what walking on clouds is like because I'm not Zeus, but really, they are super, super comfortable. Bombas has put a lot of thought into them. For instance, the socks have been tested on a bunch of different tension levels, so they're not too tight, but they still stay up. But all you'll really care about is how nice they feel. And what's even cooler, Bombas has donated more than a million pairs of socks in all 50 states to homeless shelters in the US. Bombas donates a pair of socks to those in need for every pair purchased because socks are the number one requested item in shelters across the United States. You can go to bombas.com, that's B-O-M-B-A-S.com and you'll get 20% off and free shipping on your first order of four or more pairs. Bombas has a 100% satisfaction guarantee. You'll love them or your money back no questions asked. Once again, that's bombas.com for some really awesome socks. This week's episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. I dream about growing this podcast to the point where we can hire people. I'm still astounded that I can do it full time. But if you're looking to hire someone, ZipRecruiter is a great way to find the best candidates. The internet is a big, big place. Supposing your job to just one site isn't enough anymore. You need to hit all the job sites. And unless you plan on hiring someone to hire someone, you're going to need ZipRecruiter. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, with just one click. You can find people in any industry or city, and your inbox won't collapse under a deluge of emails. You can quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person. The ZipRecruiter interface is super easy to use, and you'll have your job filled in no time. 
It's being used by over 1 million businesses. And right now, listeners for this podcast can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash myths. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash myths. One more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash myths. All right, now back to the show. Jason was surprised. All Medea needed, apparently, was a new guy. Aegeus, the king of Athens, was passing through Corinth, and he had stopped by her home that afternoon, and they got on really well. Remember how I've said so many times that the timeline for these stories doesn't make sense? Well, we've now looped back to the time before Theseus was born. Aegeus was Theseus's father, and he was actually on his way back from the Delphic Oracle. His next stop was Pythias's kingdom, in a town called Treason. Check out episode 17a for more context on this. He was just in Corinth for a few more hours, and Jason had learned that he and Medea had really hit it off, and that she now planned on going to him after she left Corinth, receiving a pledge for her safety. They hit it off so well that Medea, who mere hours before had threatened Jason's life, was now coming to him, apologizing. King Creon was happy because it looked like he might have an ally in Athens, and as it turned out, completely wrecking this vengeful young witch's life was a great move. Medea invited Jason back to their house. She was embarrassed. She had overreacted earlier. She wouldn't hurt him. She could never hurt him. He was Jason, her Jason. She had loved him from the moment she saw him, and she had left everyone she had ever known for him. She was just acting ridiculous earlier. She knew that they were too far gone. But Medea said that she wanted the kids to go with Jason. That way, they could grow up as royalty. She didn't know what was in store for her, but at least Jason's dream of a united family would be complete. She asked him for one more thing, to plead with King Creon, to ask if the children could stay. Medea said that she had a good feeling about this Aegeus guy, but she didn't think bringing two children with her would be a good idea at this point. Jason told Medea that the king definitely will not go for that. He didn't really take kindly to having his life threatened, and he wanted anything having to do with Medea out of his kingdom. Medea, tears welling up, cursed herself for what she had said. Then, she had an idea. She ran to get a coronet and a gown, and came out, gently folding them and placing them in a box. It was a beautiful gift, and Medea asked that it go straight to the princess, with a plea that she go to her father and ask if the children could stay. Jason sighed. His new wife would love the gift. From his old wife, he said that he would see what he could do. Medea asked to let the kids give it, to start gaining favor with their new mom. Glossy, the daughter of Creon, and Jason's new wife, was nervous. Upon seeing the dress, Medea's peace offering... She decided that Jason and Medea's children would be staying with them, and she was to be the stepmother for these boys. They seemed nice enough, bringing her the beautiful gown and coronet, and it wouldn't be difficult for her to convince her father to let them stay. They seemed to like her, though. She thanked them for the gown, and she said that she would try it on right now. Jason watched her emerge from the other room, and his heart leapt. He looked down at his sons and pulled them close. This was a new start for them, a new start for everyone. Jason and Medea's relationship had grown toxic. Well, it had started with her leaving her homeland and killing her brother, so it was probably toxic from the beginning. 
it had to end. Jason would be king someday, and his sons would be the princes that they were always supposed to be. Medea would probably marry Aegeus and be a queen. Everything was going to work out. Oh, Jason said to his new wife, don't forget the coronet. Jason saw her put it on and look at herself from every angle in the mirror. Then King Creon came to the room and smiled. He had heard about Medea and Aegeus too. The threat had passed. Creon was still making her leave tomorrow, but it wouldn't be as bad as if the dangerous, vengeful witch was being cast out and made completely homeless. She would bounce back and everyone would be happy. That's a nice gown, Creon said. Did you get that for her? No, Jason said. Medea did. Look, she wanted me to ask you if the kids... Wait, King Creon interrupted. Medea gave my daughter that dress? Yeah, Jason said. They looked at the princess again, and she seemed fine. Except that the ground, the stone, in a few places, was smoking, as if something had come down in drops. Jason and Creon both leapt to their feet, when they saw the nearly invisible strands of smoke coming from the princess's hair. By the time they got to her, she was screaming, and her hair was completely gone in the flames. Jason made it to her first. It was the coronet and gown. It was poisoned. She had to take it off, but whatever potion Medea had covered it in latched onto the princess's body and caused it to catch fire. Jason hesitated for a moment, and before he could grab the crown, King Creon shoved him aside and wrenched it from his daughter's head, taking burning, melting skin with it. He helped the shrieking, writhing form out of the gown. He held her close and hugged her. He looked at her face and told her that she was safe. It was over, but she was unrecognizable. Her skin was burned and melted and bubbling, and it was like that all over her body. Creon held her close and hugged her. His daughter, whose only sin was being married to a man who was already married to a dangerous witch, died in his arms. That's when Creon felt the burn. It started in his fingertips, from where he had wrenched the coronet off his daughter's head. He, too, had come in contact with the dangerous poison. His hand caught like kindling, and in moments, the flame had consumed his arms. He screamed, flailed, and tried to get his burning clothes off, but everywhere he touched, he only spread the poison. By the time that Jason thought to get a blanket to possibly snuff out the blaze, it was too late. King Creon and his daughter were smoking piles of bone and ash. That, sadly, was not the worst of Jason's problems. When Creon flung the coronet and gown, he sent droplets across the room. Thankfully, it missed Jason and his sons, but it did not miss carpets and tapestries and the bed. The room was ablaze, and Jason and his sons were separated by a wall of fire. Jason steeled himself to go after them, but they panicked and fled down a hallway behind them. The flames roared to be higher and more impassable. Jason swore and ran out the exit behind him. He would try to find his sons before the castle burned to the ground. Jason and Medea's sons burst through the door of Medea's humble house. They had found their way out of the castle and returned to the only place where they knew they were safe. She held them close and kissed their heads. They were happy to be safe. It didn't occur to them that their mother had done it all. They said that they didn't know what happened to their father, but Medea knew magic. She had to go back and save him. Just then, a servant burst through the door. She told them of Jason. He was alive. 
he was the last person to make it out of the castle before it collapsed. Medea took a deep breath and asked the servant to bring Jason to the house. Tell him the children are with me, that they made it out of the castle. The servant nodded and rushed back in the direction of the castle. Medea took another deep breath and asked her older son to bring her her knife. Jason was so racked with grief at the thought of losing his children that he wouldn't even listen to the servant for the first couple of minutes. And several people had to restrain him to keep him from diving right back into the burning rubble. It was only then that he was able to hear it. The children were alive and they were with their mother. When Jason thought about Medea, his hands shook with rage. She had done all of this. She was a monster. Jason scrambled to his feet and ran as fast as he could to his former home. The children were alive, and Jason had to get them out of the city before people related to Creon and Glossy took revenge. He saw a chariot in the road out in front of their house and Medea preparing to leave for exile. Her bags were on the back of the chariot, and she climbed aboard to leave. The children were not in sight. Jason took a few more steps and saw that the things in the back of her chariot were not bags. He froze, and all he could do was stare in deep, horrified shock. They were not bags. They were the bodies of their two sons. He saw Medea's hands grab the reins. They were still covered in the blood of their children, her children. She drove the chariot to meet Jason, still standing shocked in the middle of the street. The bodies lolled with each bump. For a few moments, he couldn't speak. He was horrified at what she had done. Then he began spitting curses at her. He called her a monster, a murderer, an abomination. He looked into her eyes and he didn't even recognize the person in front of him. The Medea he knew, the woman he loved, would have never fathomed this. He was sickened by her. Medea wiped what was left of the tears from her cheek, smearing her children's blood on her face. She said she had done it. She knew that he didn't care about her. He didn't even care about the princess or the king. They were just a path back to the throne. He did care about his children, though, almost as much as Medea did. And this was the one final way that she could hurt him. And by the pained, disgusted look on his face, she could see that she had done it. They were both broken by what she had done. But Medea had steeled herself, prepared herself. They were both broken, but Jason was crushed. In this one day, he had lost everything. The anger that burned within Medea for Jason, and the knowledge that she had hurt him more, would console her as she buried her own children. She looked at Jason square in the face and asked him if he thought he could dishonor her and laugh at her and still think that he could live a happy life. After everything he had seen her do to her enemies, did he think that she would go quietly while he lived as a king, happy and surrounded by all of his children? She laughed a strained, crazed laugh. Jason tried to go to his sons, but she snapped that he wouldn't touch them. He froze. Where was this caring father this morning, she asked, when they would be following their mother into exile and certain death. Jason was dreaming of his new sons with his new wife. No, Medea would take them and see to their burials in a secret place. They would go with honor, safe from their enemies desecrating their burial place. Jason cursed her to the gods, but she wondered which god would hear him. He was the first oathbreaker. He had started this, but Medea had ended it. Medea left without saying another word to Jason. She just drove the chariot away. I like to think that her just driving off was her way of saying to Jason that he meant nothing to her now. He didn't warrant a goodbye. Regardless, we do know that she left him there in the street. 
broken and alone, and that she would never again see the man that she had once loved. Jason stood there stunned for a few moments, watching his son's heads bob in the chariot, the last look of horror frozen on their faces. Then, Jason realized that he, once again, needed to flee. Creon still had family members who would want revenge, and with Medea gone, it would fall on Jason. He realized that all of his possessions had been burned in the castle, and so the one-time captain of the Argo, the son of a king and the husband of two princesses, left Corinth with only the clothes on his back. So that was dark. Today's episode came largely from an ancient Greek tragedy by Euripides. It's called, no surprise, Medea, and it continued the story from the myth. It's unclear how much of the story is from the myth and how much is the creation of Euripides. I think it's all the creation of Euripides. But anyway, it's an incredibly dark way for this character to go out because I really liked her last episode. In some ways, I understand the trajectory she took in today's episode. In some versions, she killed her brother. In all versions, she tricked Peleus' daughters into killing him. And she's incredibly intelligent and ruthless. This whole episode is sort of a thought experiment as to what would happen if you turned Medea on Jason. How far would she go to crush him? As it turned out, she would all but kill him, but utterly destroy everything they both held dear, leaving him alone, broken, and shamed. She arrived at the court of King Aegeus, and he had vowed to give her sanctuary. In a few years, they had married, and though Medea always had to deal with dark rumors from her past, things were never confirmed. We know the end of her story in Athens. She tried to poison young Theseus, rightfully worried that he would take the place of her children with Aegeus. She fled before Aegeus could banish her for treason. Some sources say that she returned east, to Colchis, nearly 30 years later, to find her father's kingdom in war. She helped to finish the war, and put her own son, by Aegeus, on the throne. She was in control, and she was finally safe, back home. I can imagine that as she walked down the hall where she first saw Jason, she was hit with pain and regret. She never should have left. Life had changed her, broken her. But to awkwardly quote Hemingway, the world breaks everyone, and afterward, many are strong in the broken places. Medea was strong, but she lived with her sorrow and her deep scars for the rest of her days. Jason was not strong. He was cast out of Corinth, blamed for Medea and the death of the king and his daughter. He tried to return to Iolcus, but they wouldn't have him there either. He can go to Athens, with Medea living with Aegeus, or Mycenae, with the children of Hercules, knowing how he had abandoned their father. Everyone else knew of the misfortune and death that seemed to follow him wherever he went. It was then that Jason set aside his name, that tarnished and dirty thing that had once been great, and fell to begging in the streets to survive. He lived like that for years, as a nomad, at the mercy of cold or monsters or bandits. Then, years later, he found himself back in Corinth, in the middle of a cold and rainy winter day. He hadn't returned to the city since seeing Medea drive off with the bodies of his children, and now, decades later, he had been almost completely forgotten in the city. He hated the place, and he thought about leaving, but he couldn't now. He coughed, and his body shook. The rain was pelting him, and his cloak was soaked through. If he didn't find shelter soon, he would die. That was when he saw it. There, still tied up in the harbor, was the Argo, 
It had been there since Jason and Medea sailed in nearly 30 years ago. Jason didn't know what it was doing there. If someone knew what it was and just wanted to keep it around, or if they just didn't care and had forgotten about it. It looked like it was the latter. It was in a backwater area of the harbor, and they obviously weren't taking care of it. Parts of it were rotted through, and the cabin area didn't even have a roof. The benches were still intact, though, and Jason could huddle underneath them and survive the night. Before he did, though, he stood on the deck of the ship. Those had been the best days of his life. He had been captain of some of the greatest heroes the world had ever known, and they had traveled the world together as equals. As he huddled under a bench, his cloak draped over it to block the wind and the rain, he remembered the young man that he once was. He had done this. He had captained the Argo and brought back the fleece and saved his father. Maybe there was hope for him now. Maybe it wasn't too late for him. Maybe, just maybe, he could start again. He fell asleep to grand visions of the Argo sailing again. There were still adventures to be had, still lands to be discovered. His story didn't have to end here with him like this. He fell asleep smiling for the first time in years. The Argo, though, was too far gone. The thick wood of the mast had rotted over the years. When the winds picked up that night, it swayed and creaked and cracked. Finally, it fell, crushing the benches and the deck with Jason between them. He died dreaming of the quest for the Golden Fleece, with heroes of legendary renown at the oars, and his new wife, Medea, by his side, and a boundless, happy future laid out before them. The citizens of Corinth barely even noticed the next day, when the rotting old ship had sunk into the cold, January waters of the harbor. Some say a beggar had clamored aboard the night before, but no one really knew anything about it. Besides, word had just come in. The queen of Sparta, named Helen, had been kidnapped by a prince of some city called Troy on the other side of the world. Helen's husband, Menelaus, and his brother, Agamemnon, were putting together an army to get her back. There was a war on. No one in Corinth, or anywhere else for that matter, had time to worry about a beggar dying cold and alone on some rotten old ship. So, that was crushingly brutal. Most of the mythology cuts off after Jason and Medea return to Iolcus. Medea convinces Peleus' daughters to murder him. The play, Medea, picks up ten years later when they're exiles. And then, it's just a footnote that, oh yeah, the captain of the Argonauts was crushed to death by the mast of the rotting Argo that he was sleeping on, because he had nowhere else to go. It's almost so overladen with symbolism that it's heavy-handed, but it's just so sad. Like I said, I don't know what to make of Medea. I really liked her pre-child murder, and I even thought that there was a bit of poetic justice in her using Peleus' family to murder him, much in the same way that Peleus used Jason's family ties to try to put him to death. In some ways, it seems like the writers followed Medea's personality traits to their natural conclusion, but in other ways, it just seems like they cranked her ruthlessness and penchant for cruelty up to 11, and then just pried the knob off. I'm not sure it's fair, but it's the Medea we have she will always be known for killing her kids. And that's kind of a bummer. 
because you have to think about the attitude toward women in Athens at the time of Euripides' play. The play Medea by Euripides kind of defies labels. Athens, at the time the play was written, had a strongly patriarchal society, and certain elements of the play really reflect that. But I've read opinions on the play that say the strong, intelligent Medea reflects more of a feminist attitude. It's an interesting, confusing mix. The play is interesting because it deals with all these different themes and has some fantastic lines. If you're interested, please check it out. I linked it in the show notes. Also, in the play, Medea rode off on a chariot pulled by dragons, provided to her by her uncle, the barbarian sun god. I thought that this might distract a bit from some of the other things going on at the time, namely the murder of her children, so I made them horses. To my defense, even Aristotle thought that that particular detail was a bit much. So yeah, that's it for Jason and the Argonauts and Jason and Medea. The next big story we'll tackle from Greek mythology will be the Trojan War, and then the journeys of Odysseus. That won't be for some time though, and I think we'll back up and tell some of the smaller stories from Greek mythology before I take on one of the most famous epics in world literature. Next week, it's a Halloween episode, where I'll be doing something a little different and looking at a bunch of urban legends. If you don't like sleeping, then listen to that episode. I want to say thanks to NJ Runner 1981 FM Soria, Sarah Smiles92, What the Katie Did, Peacemonger409, John DMCC, Pellison, Division Expel, Frightly, ZVFDC, Abby May 500, Fem Kid, Sparrow Like the Bird, Cujo 7705, Ruticia, Transient V, ZMB 427, A9678, Alley PDX, and Hashtag Hippie Whale for the reviews on iTunes. Thank you all so much. I really appreciate it. And if you'd like to leave a review on iTunes, you can find the show there at itunes.mythpodcast.com. There's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a Nicolas Cage lip gloss set called Cages Through the Ages, you can get extra episodes, source-back ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that, sadly, do not feature Nicolas Cage churning butter, doing the Charleston, or in a large Victorian-style dress. I'm not joking at all. I linked it in the show notes. Check out support.mythpodcast.com if you're interested in the membership. The creature this week is the Selkie from the folklore of Scotland, Ireland, Wales, and Denmark. I've received so many requests for this creature, and I had wanted to do a full episode on them, but I just could not find a good story. There are many stories that fit the bill, and some are sad and some are ridiculous, but I could only ever find summaries of the Selkie stories, and not an actual Selkie story. Anyway, they are sea creatures. They are seals under the water, but when they come up to our world, they can take off their seal skin and become beautiful humans. The only issue? They really need to keep track of their seal skin, because that's their only way of getting back home, to the sea. If some creep is hanging out on the beach and sees a bunch of beautiful women bathing, steals the skin, and makes it so one can't return with their people, well, he then has complete control of the woman while he has her skin, making him infinitely more creepy. In this particular story from the Faroe Islands, which are almost in between Scotland and Iceland and part of the Kingdom of Denmark, the man forced the beautiful Selkie woman to marry him, and he kept her skin in a chest, with the key constantly around his neck. They had two children together, and the man eventually believed that his wife was happy and had no desire to return to the sea. He was wrong. One day, he forgot the key, and he ran back to find a large seal escaping into the sea. She did care about her toddlers, though, and put out the lanterns and hid the sharp objects 
before she abandoned them for several hours in a desolate house. In a seemingly unrelated incident, a few months later, the men of the island were going to hunt seals in a cave. That night, the fisherman's sulky wife appeared to him, and he said that if he was going to hunt seals, he should not kill the giant bull seal, or its pups, because those were her sulky husband and children. If you think that this man who kidnapped a woman and made her his wife probably cannot be trusted to do the right thing, then you've been paying attention. He went right for his ex-wife's new husband and clubbed the thing to death. The babies too. His ex-sulky wife appeared to him that night and she was horrified to see her sulky husband's head proudly displayed in the fisherman's house. She cursed the town, saying that men would die at sea or fall from rocks or simply drown until the dead, arm in arm, could wrap around the island. To this day, people are still apparently worried that this quota has not been hit. There are apparently only 147 people living on that particular island as of 2002, so I don't think there are enough people to actually wrap around the island. Or maybe the curse was effective, I'm not quite sure. Not all sulky stories are dark, but nearly all of them are sad. Many have people remaining together consensually. Sometimes human men will meet female sulkies, and the women will hide their seal nature. They love their husbands and have children with them, but almost always wistfully gaze at the sea until one day it's too much and they leave. It's said that they will sometimes see the children when the little ones are playing in the water, but that they never see their human spouse again. I found that when they return to their seal form after being in their human form for a while, then they can't go back to being human for several years, but I'm not sure how reliable that is. If you think that this would make an amazing, sad movie, it would and has. Check out Song of the Sea. It's a beautiful animated movie from Ireland, and it looks at the myth of the Selkie, as well as other Irish and Celtic mythological creatures. The male Selkies, however, are far less scrupulous. They are super good looking, and are more than happy to keep a human woman company, no strings attached, while her husband is out fishing. You know, whatever. But if you're a lonely fisherman's wife looking to make a Selkie love connection, all you have to do is shed seven tears into the sea. If you want your new Selkie friend to stick around forever, just burn their skin. That is, if you want to make your non-consensual spouse feel extremely depressed and trapped. Really, and this should go without saying, do not force people or mythological creatures into marriage, because it hardly ever works out for anyone. And when in doubt, do not club baby seals. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. Other music is by Poddington Bear and Blue Dot Sessions. Links to still more music are in the show notes. Thanks again to Bombas Socks for sponsoring us today. Bombas are the most comfortable, best-fitting socks I've ever worn. They donate one pair of socks to those in need for every pair purchased, because socks are the number one requested item in shelters across the U.S. Go to bombas.com. That's B-O-M. BAS.com, and you'll get 20% off and free shipping on your first order of four or more pairs. Bombas has a 100% satisfaction guarantee. You'll love them or your money back. No questions asked. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Bye.